Welcome to the Hollywood Pipeline Podcast. I am Dax Holt. I am joined with by my co-host, Adam Glenn. How are you, my friend? Dax, what is up, buddy? How are you? It's good to be on the podcast with you as always. Uh, and we got a good show today. I'm excited for today's guest. I know I always say that, but this guy is a colleague of mine. When I say he's a colleague, it's just because we're in the same profession, but we've never worked together. Uh, he, I actually first saw this guy on a show that I think was very – that was a hit that should be on TV today. And now everyone's still doing pretty much the model. It was Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. He's a comedian. He's performed all around the world. Uh, he's on Rescue Me. He's been on tons of other shows. Uh, he's he's one of my favorite comedians, Adam Ferrara. Adam, how are you, buddy? Thank you. Thank God you said Tough Crowd. I thought you were going to say, like, social studies on UPN because I did that. <laughs> he was on the new Love Boat. What happened? <laughs> I mean, we could go down the IMDb. You listen. You do have a good IMDb page, but I know I thought Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn was a good show. I mean, it was. You know what it was, Adam? It was it was the table at the cellar. If you remember, um, before there was a Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, there was a, there was a show he did. I think it was on NBC where everyone sat on a stoop and just talked about the news of the day and stuff. So that was actually the table back at the cellar uh, when Manny w- was alive. It's still there. I mean, the college yeah, yeah. table and just. And just uh, you know, discuss what's going on in the news and make fun of each other and and, and eat falafel. So that's pretty much what the uh, what that show was. And Colin was great at it. I remember I had introduced Colin at the Montreal Comedy Festival, and I said, uh, and we both worked out at the Cellar. You're a comic too, so you know you see the same guys at the Cellar and stuff. So I said, you know, Colin, what do you want me to what do you want me to say? He goes, I don't care. So I remember my intro. I said, this next comic really annoys me. I said, because we work out at the same place, and every time I thought I write something that's current and, and insightful, I'll see him go up and do the same thing. And I'm like, I suck. Right? That's just what he does. He just does it a lot better than me. So Colin is one of the, he's a comics comic, and there's a lot of those comics comics, like Attel, um, you know, who Colin. Yeah, Andy is, Kindler. I, Andy Kindler, exactly. But Colin has had, like, a good career that, you know, he was on SNL. He's had his TV shows, but he very quietly – very gets by. He's got a very comfortable life. Like he, he's, he seemed, and he's fucking hysterical. He's fuck, he's so yeah. good. And you know what? Now that you brought it up, he still annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't that you McGruff, think that that McGruff, the crime dog, sounded son of a bitch? Well, let me ask you this: with 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 Comedy Central now, do you get? Mm. How do you? What are your thoughts on Comedy Central? The way they do because t- I thought Tough Guy was such a good show. They mm. took it off the air. Now you see the shows they put on now. As a comedian, what are your thoughts of the direction that Comedy Central is going? You know, or what they're doing with well, their everything current- has to evolve. I mean, there's there's Comedy Central. I watch, and uh, a lot of people. I mean, I I don't watch really uh, stuff first run. You know, because with our lives, the way we're doing this and this kind of interview and stuff, you you get to things when you can get to things. So it's not like a shared experience. But what they're doing, I think, is uh, you know they're evolving with with the industry. With everything changes. You know, Broad City was great. You could when we did Tough Crowd. I don't think you could have done Broad City because there wasn't an appetite for it. There wasn't uh, there wasn't um, uh, it wasn't speaking to uh, it wasn't speaking to the people that watch Comedy Central now. Because you know, like when, when we were kids, remember MTV came out. And then as you got older, you moved into your VH1 years. And now you don't know what's going on, you know, as far as uh, music television goes. Uh, so the delivery system of comedy is different. I know just uh, wh- for me, I put out an album this year and it got to be uh, album of the year. Inner Bang uh, vote, uh, voted a comedy album of the year. And what you can do now with the streaming services, you can curate different bits based on topics. Like, I still get a lot of fire guys. I still get a lot of cops from Nurse Jackie. I still get, uh, and I get gearheads from Top Gear. Um, but I did this bit about my dog. 
And uh, I'm getting a lot of pet people coming to my show now just from Pandora when they curate their comedy lists. Uh, they go by topic. So uh, so that's starting to happen. Which crowd do you like the best out of those, though? And, like everyone that buys it. They're all laughing at my pain. I love you. I'm not alone. Thank you. So, how would you. So, Dax, let me explain to you where Adam's like a regular. He's at the Comedy Cellar. The Comedy Cellar is one of, the most, one of the most historic comedy clubs in the world today. You know, it's one of the best clubs. It's one of the best clubs around. It's historic. I mean, a lot of people have got their. I wouldn't say got their start there because it. You, you, I mean, you have to get passed into there. So it's hard to say people got their start. However, upstairs from the Comedy Cellar decks is the Olive Tree Cafe, mm-hmm. which doesn't just get the comedians. Celebrities come to go see shows. You know, it's it's just an iconic place. You always, I mean, I've seen people with Jennifer Aniston there. John Mayer is always there. I mean, and but wait, is this, this just a restaurant upstairs, or is this also to like you see comedy upstairs as well? No, there's a restaurant upstairs. Then you go down the stairs, and then you and you go into the club, and the club is down here. And the only bathroom in the place is you have to walk through the showroom. Uh, so, so all the celebs are eating upstairs at this fancy restaurant, and then they go downstairs to watch the show. Yeah, and it's a little that it's a little little room. It's it's it, like working it, a subway it, platform. It's oh, that little, sounds little awesome. Room. That sounds so cool. Walking in and out, and the stage is this big. You have to like get past people on the stage. It's cool. Who, who's the it, biggest celeb you guys have ever seen there? I mean, you say Jane Anderson, but who else? Um, who I, well, the, the comics, I remember when Jerry was shooting, uh, Jerry Seinfeld was shooting, um, comedian yeah. he was shooting it there. And I got bumped twice in one week. He bumped me at Gotham when Gotham used to be on 22nd to, mm-hmm. and he was with the camera crew to shoot it. Then he bumped me again at the cellar and we were outside before he went up while like, the cameras were, were setting up. And he's like, Adam, I'm sorry. I said, Jerry, this movie better be funny. Because right now it's going. <laughs> You're like, I don't know who the fuck you are, some little yeah. comedian coming up in this world, but you better get out of the way. I need yeah, my time. I, 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 really? Really, Jerry? <laughs> you got the rerun money? You got the Porsches? How, how much do you need? <laughs> but what's cool is about it, they have this comedian's table, and that's where, you know, Tough Carl Colin Quinn started Dex. And the comedian's table, you have to be passed at the club to sit at the table. And all the comics sit, sit around and hang out, bullshit, make fun of each other. So, Adam, who were some of the coolest com- people you've seen just sitting at the table just bullshitting? Have you ever- Rob Williams was there one night, which was great. Because um, uh, I had met him once before, but it was a time where I got to actually sit down and talk to him. Um, and he was very – what, what struck me about him was his self-awareness. Um, he, he, uh, he sat down. He goes, uh, he goes uh, listen, I, 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 I know you're very funny. I can't go watch your set because then I'll, I'll take a joke of yours, inadvertently say it on TV, and I'll have to write you a check. And I'm like, <laughs> I thought that was great. I thought that was – the self-awareness that he had of that. But I, I met him there. Anthony Kiedis, um, I sat with him. He came to see Chris Rock one night. Um, there's, there's been a bunch of there's been a bunch of political people were there. Uh, Julianne was there when I, well, I don't think, no, that was Tonight Show. I, I met Julianne Tonight Show. But there's just people flowing in and out. And sometimes you'll hear who's in the crowd. And sometimes you'll get to talk to people. And uh, uh, it's just, it's a nice environment. And now they have the, the fat black pussycat next door, which is even yeah. a bigger room. Now, is this like the gold standard of comedy clubs? Like, if you're if you are coming up and you're like, this is where I want to perform, a, or is yeah, there? It's a rite of passage. It's 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 like like I got the pelts on my wall, Adam. You know this. I got I got uh, um, you know I did Letterman, I did the Tonight Show, I did uh, all all that stuff, the specials and stuff. So you got those notches in your belt. Um, to me, I was headlining Caroline's. Gotham was always big for me. I always loved working. Gotham was one of the clubs in my in my pantheon. And the cellar. You wanted to be passed there. Um, and I started on Long Island. I didn't come in. Where did you start, Adam? I'm a New York guy. I started in New York, yeah. 
Did you start upstate, downstate, Long Island? No, I started in the Manhattan. You know, I do like the Al Martin rooms, the New York Comic Cup. See, that's yeah, tough to do. That's tough to do because you're starting, you know, you're starting right where you can, can be seen. I started out in the suburbs and then I start, then I would do a lot of stuff in Connecticut. There was one of the, one of the most honest bookers I've ever met in my life is a guy named John Schuler. He's he, he booked Connecticut. And this is when bar owners found out it was cheap to produce comedy because, you know, you needed a mic. And sometimes that was optional. You know, they pay you right out of the register. So he would call me up. He had all these these bars in Connecticut. He's like, "Listen, I got a gig. It's a it's it's a long way away. The crowds are shit. It doesn't pay a lot. You want it?" I said, "Yes, I will go." <laughs> exactly. So I, I cut my teeth in bars in a lot of places that didn't you know that just that were cheap to produce comedy. I used to love when I got a gig and the word comedy club was in the name of the joint. I'm like, "Oh, okay. At least they know what they're getting." I dude, I know that feel. It's so funny saying that because I know that feeling one hundred percent. Like it just kind of, rather than some Italian restaurant, it's like oh, a comedy club. It's like oh, thank God. Thank God, I, yeah. You work in the steak, steak and sword, the main room. Yep, right next to the buffet. <laughs> now I gotta ask you guys because comedy, it like stand-up comedy to me, that would be my worst nightmare. I can't imagine having to go up on stage. Do you guys ever like? look out there and you see someone famous and does it make you nervous? Like at this point, if you see someone that is maybe like an idol to you or someone that you really respect, does that ever get to you while you're up there? Mm, I, I don't, you don't really, I was trying to think if that ever happened to me. Um, like, cause you kind of know when someone's in the audience and they really don't sit them up front because any, anyone famous doesn't really want to sit up front. So anybody that's coming to see, they just want to be in the back. And yeah. so, so I, I can't really say that. I remember once my father, my father first came to see me do stand up. I actually, I made fun of him for five minutes. He was, <laughs> so he, he never right. came back. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't come back, but, but I'm like, oh, okay. That was one of the first very time he was sitting there. And, uh, and I looked, I remember I said something, is my father laughing? Because I did a joke about him and I just started making fun of him for five minutes. I forgot what I said, but that actually helped. Help the show. Like, would it but make you get nervous? It, yeah, you get nervous. I don't. I think. Do you still get nervous, Adam? Do you get like twitchy? You know what? It's not even nervous because I. You kind of pass the point where I think maybe it's my antidepressants I'm on that I just don't give a shit. You know. <laughs> so it's. Uh, but but Adam, just, if if Seinfeld walked in and sat down and you saw him, would that make you nervous? No. I would say, is the damn movie done yet? Are you bumping me again, Jerry? <laughs> I want a freaking Porsche. <laughs> I love, okay. like I, exactly. I will tell you what really got me nervous. Um. I was, you ever work Comedy Magic, Adam? Sure. It's uh, okay. down in Hermosa, is it? Yeah, right. Hermosa Beach, right? So you know the Comedy Magic Club. Mike sure. Lacey, uh, uh, Richard, great guys, great club. So I get a weekend there, and uh, my, uh, my manager um, calls me up and says, listen, Mike uh, has got a movie weekend. He's bumping you, but he said you can open if you want. And right away, my ego kicks in. Open? I'm not open for, what sword swallow is bumping me? I'm not open for anybody. Who the hell is bumping me? And he went, George Carlin. Does he need a ride? <laughs> Can I pick him up? He was working on his last special, so he wanted the weekend. So he's, you know, I said, how could you not open for George Carlin? So I, I took the gig immediately. Um, and you can't go into the green room because he's got the green room before he goes on. So it, it's all locked up. He's, he's by himself. But you, he says, you're invited back after the show. Fine. So if you know my, uh, uh, you know the, the comedy club, uh, you, you meet Mike when you walk down the hallway and it's like a little theater. So the MC goes up, brings me up. I do my half hour. I walk off stage, and in the wings is this little man with a gray silver beard, and he's two little eyes, and he's looking at me. He goes, "Hey, you're funny." I went, "And you're calling." <laughs> he's like, he 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 remembered a joke of mine. He saw he watched my set in the green room. He quoted two of my jokes. We shook hands. We were talking about um, Morningside Heights because that's where he's from uptown. Uh, yeah. 
So I knew that, and we knew uh, Chris Rush was still alive then, who was a friend of mine and a friend of George's. So we're just we're just bullshitting back and forth, and uh, and the MC the, the MC introduces him, and the audience starts clapping, and George goes, "Is that for me?" I go, "It ain't for me, George. You better get out there." <laughs> so he went out, he did his set, he came back, and went back, and we was again talking in the green room. He goes, "Okay, I'll see you tomorrow night," and I'm on cloud nine. George George Carlin saw my set, thought I was funny, talking to me just like a regular contemporary, asked me about a joke, and said, "I'll see you tomorrow night," and that's when I got nervous. I'm like, "Oh shit." I can't do the same set. I got to do a whole different set, whole different half hour because I'm opening in front of Carlin. I can't do the same thing. So now the anxiety kicks in. Now I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. I grab all the notebooks. Me and my wife are back at the hotel playing a game called Honey, Is This Funny? And I'm just going through <laughs> shit to the set together. That second set, I was very nervous because it was stuff that I usually, you know, it was new stuff that I was trying to be funny. And I knew George was watching me. I wasn't funny for the first time. I wasn't nervous the first time because I didn't know he was watching me. Second time, I was really nervous. Was that was that the point that you felt like you had made it in this career? Like you got George Carlin talking to you, quoting your jokes? <laughs> like I've made it. What are well, you no, I mean, come on, dude. You've done a lot of things. I'm just wondering if like... If there, if that was the moment, or there was a moment where you were on Nurse Jack and you look over, you're like, "What the fuck am I doing? Like, this is amazing." Yeah. It's I get those. Here's here's the thing, Dax. I don't know that I allow myself to feel that because as a comic, it's like when comics when you first start being a comic. Are you an actor as well, Adam? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll, I'll take the role. I'm not really, I'm yeah. an actor, let's say but that. You know, if, if every, every comic we start, so you got to learn how to act. And most of the guys I spoke to were terrified because you don't want to lose what makes you funny and you still don't know what that is yet. So it's like, it's this magical thing you can do, but if I find out about it, it'll go away. It's an irrational fear. So I think that's the same thought loop that doesn't allow me to accept stuff in. I'm trying to do better at it as I'm getting older, but, but it's like, when it happens, I really don't feel like I've made it in answer to your question. I, I, I never do. I think you got to stay hungry. Is auditioning like, is auditioning the worst thing ever, especially yeah. as a comedian? Like I always heard, well, comedian told me a great line. He's like, uh, Robert Kelly said this. He said, audition, comedians hate auditions because it just ruins the middle of your day. It just ruins your day. No matter what it is, it's the worst thing ever. And from my experience, the casting people don't know what they want until they see it. They might say yeah. they want to play doctor, but you don't know what it is. They just want you yeah. to do it. And you're just on a guessing game trying to guess the part they want. You know, it's That's the switch, though. The switch for me is I'm not trying to guess what they want. This is the way I do it. That's that's when you take that switch like, oh, they want this. They're looking for this because I get I get called in for a lot of stuff where I'm like, I'm not right for this, but they just want to see how you do it. So I'm grateful that I get called in a lot. But if you take it from the position like this is how I'm playing this guy, you want it or not. And that at least takes some of the stress off. But it does ruin your day, especially out here in California. You got to drive over the hill. That this this that's the best thing when you're in an audition and 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 there's like the producers are there they're all laughing they love you oh my god you're wonderful which basically basically means you're not getting the part but we're sorry to drag you over the hill so we're gonna fawn over you oh so that's what it means you know how many times yeah. I got in I'm like they love me never yeah. got a call back get the part of that happens. <laughs> Because they're never going to tell you they love you. Because then they got you still got to make the deals where they got to pay you. So they're not going to tell you that. They're going to do this. Like maybe if we're stuck at the last hour, we'll call in. <laughs> That's the worst too. When the casting director knows the person in front of you. Ah, you've been waiting all day, right? You're sitting there. The lady comes out to uh, knows the guy in front of you, but hugging and kissing. My God, I couldn't believe we got you. The producers are so excited to see you. Thanking for thank you for giving my son the kidney. He would have died without you. They go in there, and they're in there for like an hour and a half. You hear a band playing. There's giggling. All kinds of shits going on. Then 
they're exhausted when they walk out. Then they say, okay, you walk in, they're looking at you and they just give you one of these like, we're only doing the first scene. They're not even watching you. They could give a shit. There's, con- there's used condom wrappers on the floor. <laughs> is that is that what it was like at Top Gear? No, Top Gear was actually <laughs> Top Gear was in the ass. Was that was that pretty? Was that nerve wracking? Because I, I Top Gear a, was a huge UK show, so like that's a lot of pressure to you know then be filling those shoes. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. I was doing Rescue Me, um, and we would do the Rescue Me comedy tour. So it was me, you know, you know, Leary and, and Lenny Clark, right, Adam? Yeah, yeah. So and Kenny Rogerson, you know Kenny? I do, I do. Kenny's Kenny's hysterical. So it was yeah. it was the four of us. Nick DePaulo would would uh, would pop in now and again, and we had a band, and we were on the road, and we did it every year for the last three years of the show. So we're on like one of the la- we're on the tour bus, um, and uh, Dennis looks at it, me and Lenny. It was just me, Lenny, and Dennis on the tour bus, and he's like, "This, what do you guys think about doing? Uh, you know, maybe uh, ten more episodes, and then shooting this thing in the head." And me and Lenny went, no, no, we don't have Ice Age money, you skinny Irish fuck. Think of us. <laughs> um, and uh, he goes, okay, we'll do 18, which was another 18 episodes. We'll, the, the FX was going to cut it in half. Those will be the last two seasons. And then that's it. So, you know, you need another job. You know this business, fellas. So I had done a pilot because I like cars. I'm like, All right, what's the next thing I want to do? So I'd done a pilot for history about cars, um, but it wasn't Top Gear. They, they didn't pick up the, the, the pilot, but they liked me. And they had the rights to Top Gear. So they asked me, um, do you know Top Gear? I said, yeah. He goes, well, we would like you to be a part. I said, don't screw it up. It's like a perfect show. She's like, uh, the, the, um, well, we want you to be a part of it. I said, I don't want to screw it up. It's a perfect show. What do you, I, don't, I have no interest in auditioning for the part of Clarkson. And what she said was, no, we want to find another cast just in that context, not to imitate those guys, just to be themselves in that context. So I met the other two guys. They had those guys. Boys, it was the strangest audition. You didn't go to a producer's office. You didn't go to a studio. It was like it was like a ransom drop. Go to a church parking lot, look for an Evo and a bunch of English guys, and no cops. And that's what I did. I drove over the hill in Ventura. <laughs> We're in a church parking lot. There's an Evo ten there. There's Rut and Tanner and a bunch of English guys with cameras. And they 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 put cameras in the car. And they just put it in. We just started messing around. That's and awesome. we started. Just doing donuts and messing around. And when I found out that uh, Tanner was a race car driver, I was trying to plan stuff out. I'm like, so if we rob a bank, you could be a wheel man. And he's like, I guess so. And then I started planning a robbery with the guy. (laughs) And then how long before or like how long did it take between the time that you auditioned and then finding out that you actually got the gig? Six months. They kept bringing me back. I, I said, I said, I'm not going back again. Because it was a pain in the ass. They kept. I think what had happened was they knew they wanted those two, but they needed the third guy. So I went back once to do the news because we used to have a news segment. Then I went once to uh, the first time I did. We did the Evo. Then once was the news. Then we went back again where they gave us three different cars and we were messing around in those three cars. And then they wanted me to go back again. And I went, Yeah, I'm not your guy. I'm not coming back over the hill. You know? <laughs> and they said, No, come back over the hill. Okay. And then they called up and gave me the gig. That's awesome. When you, well, well, when you got Rescue Me, did you? Due to your relationship with Dennis, did you have to even audition or did you just get it? No, what had happened was we had done um, The Job, which was a cop show before that. We were, uh, it was for ABC. So I knew Dennis Lenny and, and um, 9-11, what, what had happened was our cop show was up against West Wing at the peak of the West Wing power. So we were getting 10, 11 million people a week, consistent, but West Wing was a monster. So ABC switches heads uh, when the pre- when the president leaves and your show's on the bubble, you're dead. Because if it's a success, the other guy gets the credit. And if it's a failure, you get the blame. So they cleaned house. We got 
canceled. Dennis went away and did Rescue Me. Rescue Me was on for about two years, two, three years. And um, I, I remember I was driving, I was paying the toll to Throgs Neck Bridge and Dennis called, I was, I was on the phone. And he goes, I got this part for this, this, this young chief. Uh, come in next week and we'll, we'll have some fun. Said, okay. So then that, uh, I did that and then it got, um, uh, it got to be a recurring role and then they just made me a regular. So in answer to your question, I, I had to audition for that show two shows ago when I met Dennis. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. But let me ask you, you were talking about getting nervous. I mean, mm-hmm. you recently just did the James Corden show, did stand yeah. up on James Corden. Yeah. You get, ner- but you've also done everyone. You've done Letterman. I mean, you've done it all. Yeah. Do you get nervous when you have to do stand up in that situation when you do Corden or? It's a, it's, it's, here's what they, like, like, you know, when you do TV, there's a TV audience and you're not, they're, they're behind the cameras. So, so you're playing a long ball a little bit. So I get nervous because I, I, it, nervous isn't the right word. I get concerned to, to land it. You know, you, you still get the, you still get show adrenaline. And it, the, so the energy is coming towards you. Um, so it's not nervous as much as it's, it's show adrenaline. It's a little more intense because of the, the it's not a comedy club setting. But Set, Corden, sure. he does do it great because there are some seats in front of the camera. And you know a TV audience. You don't know what's going to land. And putting a, a late night set together is a pain in the ass because you got to cut all your tags. you got to get a laugh in the first 10 minutes. And I always put, uh, I usually put my second joke, uh, my best joke, second to last. Because the last joke, when you raise your hand and say goodnight, the band kicks in. So don't blame it. Don't burn an applause break. So the second best, the applause break joke goes second to last. And whatever that joke's about, I build backwards. You know, you got to get a laugh in the first 10 seconds. And then it just becomes a puzzle. How do you want to put stuff together? How stuff connects? It's interesting um, the way you would have to look at that. I think that's really fascinating. Not being a comedian, I'm like, wow, yeah. there's really like an artwork to how you lay out all your jokes. Oh, it's a pain in the ass, Dax. You're so much better off. <laughs> don't you have to write? But don't you have to actually write out all the jokes for the network because they want to see every single word you're going to say? Just for nah, you know, I, we used to be able. They used to come see you at the clubs, and you have to do that. Now I just I don't have to send video anymore. It's nice. I just had to send an audio in. So so, you, I, so there you go. You've officially made it. By the way, just yeah, let well, me know. I, I haven't made. I things <laughs> got a little easier. I haven't made. It. <laughs> But I even think in this day and age, I mean, it's not like it used to be when the studio and the, the suits had to come out and see you at a club. You know, now, you know, if they don't come out anymore, they can just see you on YouTube and then, you know, they bring you in. When you go do like a late night, like James Corden, do you, yeah. like the next day you wake up, do you have like a bunch of like, how, do you feel like an increase in followers right away? Or yeah, is you get, well, you get a spike and stuff. You get a spike and then and, and you talk to people a bit more. You get spikes and you get to do things that's... It every little thing you do now uh, just helps the aggregate. It helps like I'm I'm uh, host uh, because of the cars. I'm going to Barrett Jackson. I'm doing the uh, the auctions. Oh, uh, cool! So what I like to do is I do this thing on my uh, uh, Facebook page called Talk to Me Tuesday, nine o'clock Eastern, six o'clock Pacific. We turn on the cameras. I sit in that chair and my wife scolds me in front of five thousand people. <laughs> But they all come back, and I get we get to know this community and stuff. And a lot of them are car people from Top Gear. So when I go to Barrett Jackson, I, I tell them, "Look, go on, go on the docket, look at the cars you want, and I'll shoot little videos about those cars and ask me questions." So it's a nice communication thing. So Corden gives you a spike, that gives you a spike. Um, I used to live tweet during Top Gear, so when those shows were on, it was like we made an appointment television because I was talking to the people about what you're about to see. And yes, I did survive this. That's so uh, it's nice to have that sense of sense of community. I'm curious because since you have done all the late nights, you've done you've been to so many shows and performed. 
which show has the best green room slash like behind Corden the stage? Had, Corden had the best coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Corden had the best coffee. Letterman, it was cold. It was it was like my mother. So I do Letterman, right? My parents come in and I get bumped the first time I do it because they ran out of time. Uh, Lauren Bacall went long. That's how long ago this was. So my mother comes all the way into the city um, and she doesn't understand what happened. The show ends and uh, Letterman says, Adam Ferrara, he'll be back. He was in a cab. He ran out of here. Whatever he said. Whatever Wait, he isn't that the best thing, though? Because you still get paid when you get bumped. Is that right? right? See, the comics always get bumped because that's the cheapest one to get rid of. They don't have to pay all the band. They pay the comp. Listen, Adam, you know this as well as I do. Dax, comics, we're just talking mimes. We're strippers with our clothes on. That's all we know. Yeah, I have a buddy like uh, Dan Natterman, who's I think yeah. Conan, like a Letterman a bunch of times. And he's like, dude, I love it. He's like, I just show up in a, with a suit. They bump me and like I don't get to go for like a month, but you still get paid. I mean, it's not like I think it might be like 800 bucks maybe you get paid, which. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's not a lot. You're not retiring on that. Yeah, exactly. So I get bumped, right? And my and, and Eddie Eddie Brill was uh, was booking it. Eddie's a friend. So Eddie brings my parents backstage because it didn't work. And my mother's like this. Will someone tell me what the frick just happened? You drove all the way in. You weren't. I said, Ma, they ran out of time. Well, we're here. Let's do it. Come on. I'm not coming back in. Let's do this now. I go, Ma, it's not about you, Okay. <laughs> Because Letterman was in New York, so they could come. The Tonight Show. I had done The Tonight Show um, with Jimmy. I was plugging something on The Tonight Show with Jimmy. And, and you know, my mother, she gets the emails because everyone in the community sees it. Your son's going to be on with, with Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. So my mother goes, what time is it, is it on? I said, Ma, it's on 11.30. Can you do it at 5? I have <laughs> she just doesn't have that kind of thing. So I will say, Corden had the best coffee. Um, Jay used to come to your room. Did you do the Tonight Show with Jay, Adam? Yeah, yeah, I sat in the audience for that. Yeah, uh, he used to have the Jay car. He used to come by. He used to come by the room with a, a rolling bar, and they called it the Jay bar. He goes, Jay would like to offer you a drink, and it was a, a whole bar of, of good booze. I went with my friend, and uh, I didn't drink because I'm not going to drink before I go up. And he got smashed. I go, listen, I'm I'm, I'm working here. I said, Maybe you shouldn't be drinking a flower pot full of scotch, okay? <laughs> And he got loaded in the back of the in the green room. He didn't even watch my before. He just back there throwing it back. Oh, that's so Jay crazy. is the most one. Jay give you booze. Um, Corden had the best coffee. Uh, Letterman was cold and you couldn't look at him. Yeah, Letterman. The only time I think you got from my experience again, you know better than him. But from what I was told, Letterman, you'd only get to talk. He'd come shake your hand after a set, and then he'd be all right, goodbye, and disappear. You never that's saw him. Why? Why can't you? Corden comes before and gives, gave me a hug. Was talking to my wife, and it was really nice. Why can't you look at Letterman? I, they, tell, they tell you don't look at him. I, like, does knows? it make him nervous, or just like he doesn't? I, maybe he's afraid. It's like an aborigine. You take a picture, he loses his soul. I don't. I have no idea. That's so bizarre. <laughs> they said, "Don't look at him." I'm like, okay, I won't. I, like I, you, like you hear rumors about people being all like divaish, like that. Like you can't look at him. You can't talk to him before. But like, I don't think I've ever actually heard someone's name attached to that. It's so interesting. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's. it's I mean. Who knows what's what what uh, what's going on? Look, he did well, a little bit. Yeah, he did kind of well. But for the most part, they're 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 nice experiences to have. I just don't like doing stand up. It's not that I don't like it. It's it's a challenge to do stand up in that context because you got to cut all your tags. You got to go. It's yeah. a, you have an, anytime I go on stage with an agenda, it's it's a little cumbersome uh, for me. Um, but then once you build the monkey bars, like you build the set. Then you just go out and swim because, like, this is where it's going to be. So it's 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 the run up to it that's that, that puts the anxiety in your head. 
Yeah, I've met Letterman on the street. And, you know, you hear the stories about Letterman. He's a very reserved, quiet guy. Uh-huh. On the street, and he actually couldn't have been any nicer. He was so cool, at, you know, like just a really cool guy. Talking yeah, he shook my hand. He was very nice. You know what he did that was pretty cool? And I have – I just have, like I said, like pelts on your wall. I have my cue cards. Yes, you got I, it. I, from the first time I did Letterman, first time I did Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon's the late one. He did a 1230. Then, then a couple from the Tonight Show when he was, when he had the real Tonight Show. I got a couple from um uh, I I went to, I went for Corden because I I said can I get my cue cards and they looked at me like we we don't have cue cards anymore. <laughs> By the way, I'm looking I'm you looking. Think be- I can get a kinescope of this performance. <laughs> I'm looking behind you. Got a lot of like cool shit on your your shelves. What? what is the mugshot? I can't see. It's a little blurry. That's Steve McQueen. Ah, Steve McQueen. Nice. Oh, I got it. So this is Steve McQueen's. But believe me, all this stuff, this, this library and all this cool shit, it, it's the wife. I've had nothing to do with it. <laughs> that's Steve McQueen's mugshot. That's awesome. That's cool. So last time, so I did Barrett Jackson, so I needed a car. So Ford sent over the Bullet Mustang, the new Bullet Mustang. It's Highland Green 420. It's 420, 480 horsepower. And it's great. It's, it's, it, I got to drive that around all week. That's so, so I fun. Stuff like that. Oh, rough life. You've auditioned for many roles. You've gotten a lot of them, but I'm sure you've missed out on a lot of roles. Oh, yeah. You know, was there – have you ever had to do a screen test with any big actors? You know, have you have you had that experience? Like These – it's not necessarily a screen test. Is what you, you – you'll test uh, at the network. Like, you'll go and – you know, they'll shoot. Like, I didn't know that I was actually being filmed. This was the best one – the best environment to do this was with uh, – Dennis Leary, when I got the cop show, was called The Job, because we did it in New York. And usually when you go in for a test, it's it's like a matinee. It's the middle of the day. There's a bunch of suits around. A lot of guys named Josh with hair products, you know, just with clip-thicking notes. <laughs> yeah. It's not like a real environment. Just people sitting there judging you. You know, it, it, it's almost like flash dance when they put the, uh, when they, when they yeah. slide the metal chair back, you hear the screech. You're like, those are my dreams being crushed. <laughs> Dennis had a great experience when you had a test for um, the job is we were Chelsea Pierce it was a cameraman it was Dennis it was Peter Tolan who was the executive producer uh, and that was it so I just did three scenes with Dennis and they shot it and we were improv and stuff but what I didn't know was the camera was on a closed circuit feed and all the Disney and ABC suits were all up in the ramp watching but I wasn't aware of it. So that was a nice, relaxed environment because you were just two actors on the set working. Doing the gig is easy. It's getting the fucking gig that's going to kill you. Yeah. So, and Nurse Jackie, I read once with Edie, um, and that was it. I, had, uh, I was shooting Top Gear at the time, and I was gone for like two weeks. So I, I called my wife. Here's the thing about the wife, fellas. If I don't smell my wife's hair at least once a week, shit gets broken. She like, <laughs> yeah, she calms the big monkey down. I'm a... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Dax, you don't know. Goes, Son of a bitch! And then she looks at me like, listen to the music. Okay. You're pretty. Yeah. So I was out for two weeks. And I called my wife. I said, honey, I'm coming home. Uh, don't even pick me up. I got a card bringing me home. Uh, it's Friday afternoon. It's pants-free weekend. Me, you, the dog, take our pants off. Whatever happens, let the chips fall where they may. <laughs> Come home. Kiss my wife, take a shower, more relaxed, pants come off, phone rings. It's my manager. I pick up the phone like this. No. He's like, yeah, no. Okay, let me go upstairs. I walk upstairs. My wife sees my face. And uh, they said, what? I said, they want me to fly to New York and read with Edie Falco. And my wife just looks at me and said, put your pants on. 
Put <laughs> my pants on, got on a plane, flew to New York. That Monday, um, I met with Edie in the morning, and we read the scene in front of a bunch of suits. Um, and then Wednesday, we were shooting. The scenes I read were the scenes I read were the scenes from um, the from the first episode. Yeah. What, what, what's Edie like to work with? She, I've always heard positive things. Yeah, uh, she's just a sweetheart. She's the nicest person you ever want to meet, and so generous as an actor. The space, the trust, and the space that she provides is just—it's huge. Uh, the one—the I'll tell you the scene. I was driving her home. The scene is—I was a cop, so I'm driving home in a cop car, and I have to ask her out on a date, right? So I'm uh, my first lines. First, it was the master shot. I'm driving. I look over at her and, you know, we're doing the scene. We're in the middle of the scene and she gives me this big smile. And the little guy in my head just looks at me and goes, you're doing great with this girl. I'm like, it, it's, a, it's a, you know, <laughs> say your next line, you idiot. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Do you ever get nervous in this industry? Because, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking for myself, you know, like you see a lot of your colleagues and, you know, I shouldn't say colleagues, I say friends. Mm-hmm. They're, they know what they're doing the next 40 years. They have careers. We have gigs, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, do you ever get nervous about like, hey, how am I going to provide for the rest of my life for my Every wife? fucking day. And so, by the way, you know who else, you know who else gets nervous? All those people you think have careers. They all get nervous too. This is where it, you're, you're always to the next thing. You know, it's not just, it's. For me, it's weird because I, uh, I, I'm looking for permanence in a permanent world, and our our environment, fellas, not <laughs> permanent. Know, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. You're done. You know. Um, so you have to be self-generating, and you have to not not look into the future. What I'm what I'm learning, what I have to do for me is uh, not be connected to outcome. I know he's very Buddhist, but but I. <laughs> What I tell my what my wife says, you know, you can't be connected to outcome. You know, I said, yeah, but what you don't understand, honey, is 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 the outcome is connected to our income. Okay, if I have to be concerned about the next gig, so you, there's a certain amount of trust, I guess we I have to learn, and just do what I'm doing right now. Stay in a moment, produce what you're producing. Uh, it's like the album, I, that, that album I did. I didn't plan on it. It was an opportunity that presented itself. I was doing Gotham for a weekend. They said we can come in and record you. I said, okay, I got this material I like. I put, and it it, it took off. It, so you just you, we can only do what's in front of us, and then you got to have the trust that uh, things will be provided for you at the time you you need them. Yeah, I don't have that yet, but that's what I'm. <laughs> how how long have you been with your current manager? Oh God, um, his son Tyler was born, and now he's in college. So it's almost eighteen twenty years. So it's family. It's a team, you know. Like, yeah, it's, it's family. He's 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 a great guy. He's he's the consigliere. He's Tom Hayden. So what was the point in your career? Like, was it a show or a spot you did that really was a turning point in your career where things started to take off? Do you remember where you were? Or what the exact moment was? It a show. I don't remember you did? one inst- I do remember one one joke I did on. I think it was my third special where I I. Uh, I, I might have allowed myself or I, I had the awareness that I was proud of it. I did. My father was was dying at the time um, and uh, he was going to chemo. So I was writing about my life. So I did this bit. It's on YouTube. It's called the chemo bit. And I wrote this bit. It was in my yeah, it was in my third special. And uh, it was a bit where I bring the audience way, way down. And then I the right cross gets the applause break. Um, and it was a bit about taking him to chemo and, and I got him into the best places he could, he could get into. And, uh, he thanked me and he said, you know, 
the place you got to go has all those stairs and your mother can't climb the stairs anymore. So that's not going to work for us. So he's looking down the barrel at it. And his concern is for my mother. That's the same man that made me shovel the driveway with a broken arm. I was like, he's like, I said, pop, my arm's broken. Yeah. Switch the shovel in your ass and walk back. <laughs> so got, it gets a big, the, uh, the, the structure of it brings them way down. I mean, I, I'm not doing it justice here, but it brings it way down and it brings them back up. So I do the bit. I get a call. It airs and I get a call two weeks later. I'm on the road somewhere. NYU, uh, Professor Eddie, Free, Eddie Freefeld, who teaches at NYU and Yale, uh, called to say, uh, we want, I want to license that bit. Uh, how much would it be to license the bit to use as a teaching tool? And I, Take it, free. Kidding me? This, it, that's when something, it took on a bigger life than itself. You know, I wrote something that was painful. I made it funny. Um, and then it just took a bigger life than itself. Stephen Pressfield has a great book called The War of Art. And he great says, book. yeah, you book. like it? Yeah, Pressfield's great. Books. I'm interviewing. I'm, I'm interviewing next week. I met him. He's a sweet man. Yeah, yeah. Um, he uh, he said, uh, "Let it live in all its many bearings." Your art form, you know, once you produce something, it gets it go. It's we're out of it. You know, we let it go out in the universe, and people need what they need. We'll see what they see from it. You know, that's why George Lucas was like, "It's mine. I'm gonna write anything I want." <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then Disney went, "All right, we'll give you forty million. We can we'll fix this." <laughs> So funny, but so, yeah, uh, that's what so yeah, that that Pressfield book is a lot about the creative process and stuff, and, and the shit we go through. Well, so we're running out of time. I want to. So where can people see you? I know you've got some gigs coming up. I know yeah, you've got this stuff week. Going I am on. at. Uh, if you're watching this right now, I'm in Burbank, beautiful downtown Burbank. Sunday, Flappers, the 24th, uh, which is this Sunday, seven o'clock. I'm doing one show with my friend Eric Rivera. Then I'm going to be at Cobb's Comedy Club in. Uh, Another one of my favorite clubs in North Beach in San Francisco, March 24th and no, no, March 29th and 30th. That's next weekend. Uh, then I'm at the Mohegan Sun Casino at Comics, uh, April 4, 5 and 6. Nice. You guys were fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude, I, I appreciate you, Adam. I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm now a friend. And uh, yeah. you're doing some great stuff, man. And you're uh, honestly, it's your, you got, you're a working comedian and a working actor. I think that's in this industry. That's so difficult. I think that says something for itself. Oh, it's man. still alive, baby. Also tell it's me what, what is this uh, little Italy show on Amazon oh, Prime? Actually, it's a movie I did with, uh, Emma Roberts, Hayden Christensen, Alyssa Milano, Danny Aiello, uh, Andrea Martin. Um, it's basically Romeo and Juliet with two warring pizza families. And, and I play, uh, I play Lord Capulet. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Alyssa Milano plays my wife. Emma Roberts plays my daughter. She she's great. It's a nice little romantic family story. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. That's uh, a, a lot of good actors in that movie. It was a lot of fun. It's insane. Emma, Emma's adorable. Emma Emma looks like someone took Julia Roberts and washed her in hot water. It's <laughs> but and we really enjoyed working with each other. It's a lot of fun. It's like my big fat Greek wedding with Kindaloons. And how did you land that role? Sorry, I know we got to go, but like, how did you land that oh. role? Um, I, Donald Petrie, the director, uh, did Grumpy Old Man. He's done a bunch of stuff. And he, I had read for him for How to Lose a Guy in, uh, in 10 Days with, uh, Kate Hudson, I think. Yeah, Matt McConaughey. Matt McConaughey. And I, I remembered him. So this came, and I guess he remembered me. So it came up, um, and I did a Skype interview like this with, uh, with, with the director and the producer. And uh, I was in my backyard. I remember doing the Skype interview. And um, then they, they called and offered me the role. That's wow. awesome. What a good gig. I was, I was, we shot it up in, uh, in Toronto for about uh, 
we, we all lived together in this little apartment complex for about six weeks in Toronto. It was a lot of fun. So, so cool. I know, yeah. uh, where can people find you on uh, on social media? Ferrara, um, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Tuesday nights, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific. There's Talk to Me Tuesday. Come by, join the family. When I'm in New York, Adam, I hope I get a chance to see you down the yeah, cell yeah. where I'm coming coffee. Yeah, maybe vouch for me at the cellar. <laughs> hello, Esty. She's a big listener. Uh, yeah, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm following you on Instagram. Why has Instagram not verified you yet? This is some bullshit. Am I not verified? This is Hold some on. bullshit. Let me call I, my IT department. I'm, I'm going to call Instagram myself. I'm going to be like, I don't understand. You need to be verified. Dax is confused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting on this. I am putting a team on this right now. Go get them, baby. Uh, well, thank you again for coming on the, uh, the podcast. It was very fun chatting with you, hearing some really awesome stories. Um, and uh, make sure to find him on social media. You can find Adam and I at Adam Glenn. I am at Dax Holt. And uh, check out HollywoodPipeline.com for all your latest news. Thank you, Adams. Good to see you, brother. Be well. Good to see you. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.